Welcome back, everybody, to the Fantasy Baseball Buds podcast. It is April 11th. I am your host, Matt, joined today by my co-host, Richie. Today, we are going to talk about the first week and a half's top performers. We are going to break down the closer conundrum that is Major League Baseball and many teams bullpen. And to wrap it up, we are going to talk about rookie breakouts and give you a full description of all the players that you may want to be adding from the rookie class. Bring you in now, Richie. We'll start off with our icebreaker question of the day. It's going to be maybe a little emotionally driven. What is one player that you wish you could have either drafted or picked up in the first week and a half of this baseball season? I think the easy one here for me is J.D. Martinez. Um, in our draft that we had together, I think we were on the fence about uh, even drafting him. And I thought, I'll admit, I thought he was washed up and uh, I believe I swayed you towards going towards Stanton and Nelson Cruz. Now Nelson Cruz has been performing well, but um, I think it leads right into one of the the hot people. Is JD Martinez has five home runs, and I think he has three today, if if that's right. And um, yeah, so I'm a little bit bitter about that. But what about you, Matt? What's one player you regret not getting? Yeah, I think uh, kind of similar to what you were saying with a little bit of um, inconsistency last year from Martinez, you wanted to sway away from him. That was the same for me with Trevor Rogers, who we're seeing come out of the gates really strong this year. It's a player that you liked a lot so far this season, 10 innings pitched, two runs, 16 Ks. His last performance of six innings, 10 Ks. You watched a little bit of that game yourself, and you had told me how incredibly well he was painting the corners. I think for a 23-year-old lefty in any dynasty format those guys are gold and uh, he happens to be on your team now so congratulations but definitely a player I wish I had you know thought deeper about Um, but there will always be JD Martinez's there will always be Trevor Rogers you know we can always look back and wish but uh, condolences I guess to my team and kind of congratulations to yours you got Corbin Burns last year first week of the season and you ended up getting Trevor Rogers first week of this season two great pickups especially in a dynasty format but let's move along, I guess, a little bit. Did you have anything to add about Trevor Rogers? Uh, well, don't, well, well, we'll talk about later when we get into to rookie breakouts. But I do want to add. Um, I'll give you a bonus one since we're talking about getting sniped. I will Love say, what do you got? Uh, Car- Carlos Rodon, you sniped him from me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was watching that game too, and he looked like the the prospect that we we thought he was supposed to be. And his slider was just dirty, and his fastball was also hitting the corners. And in our Fab League, I, I think I put a 2 or $3 bid in, and I believe you were also watching that game, and we weren't talking about it. And if I remember correctly, you watched it in like the first or second inning. You went from $1 to $3 to $5 by the time he was done because I think he finished with 9Ks in his first outing, and he just looked magnificent. So I, I'm a little upset about it, but I also was able to get him in my other league, so I'm not too upset about it. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point. You know, our league, at least for me, is the platform in which all of fantasy baseball runs. I have, obviously, a league I share with you, and then I have a separate eight-keeper dynasty league, which is categories. And I honestly don't give a shit if I get these guys in those leagues. Like, the league that matters to me is our dynasty league. And after you got Trevor Rogers, and I watched that Rodon game, you know, I thought to myself how important premium pitching is in this league. And it's usually within the first two or three weeks that these pitchers that break out are picked up. 
you don't usually find a whole lot more in the season because these repertoires are usually in full swing to start the year. And Rodon looked great. He looked fantastic. I'm glad I got him for $5. We're going to have to see how it plays out. Definitely an age difference in Rodgers and Rodon. Rodgers is 23. Rodon is 28 now. Rodon is also coming off of Tommy John. So, right, that's out of his way. Um, but, yeah, I, I went in that game, like you said, $1, $3, $5, because as you watch him perform, you see the arm talent, you see the value, and I was not about to let another team have Carlos Rodon. Fair enough, and had you not done that, I would have gotten him for 2 or $3. So. That's right, so you'd have Rodgers <laughs> and Rodon. That would just be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to uh, some top performers over the past week and a half. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. Why don't you go ahead and uh, why don't you list three of the top pitching performers, and I'll, I'll wrap with the last two. Um, I'm going to be a little biased, and I'm going to go with somebody you just mentioned, and that's Corbin Burns. Um, to start the season, he's gone 12 and uh, one-thirds inning with only one earned run and 20 strikeouts and only two hits. Um, there's also Lance Lynn, 13.2 innings, also had a complete game shutout, um, 17 strikeouts and only two walks. And then your boy who you traded away, Jose Barrios, 11 and two-thirds innings, Two wins, only two and run, and 20 strikeouts with three walks. Um, so I'll let you take the floor and uh, pick which one you want to talk about first. Yeah, I think Barrios hurts me the most because I traded him. I've had Barrios rostered for three years, and I've seen flashes of this performance, but you're talking about almost two strikeouts an inning performance for Barrios. Same thing for Burns. I mean, they're, they're very comparable. But when I watch Burns, I watch an absolute ace on the mound. I watch a guy in command of his pitches. I watch a guy that is overpowering hitters. When I watch Berrios, and this dates back to the last three years, I'm watching a guy that the bats are missing, sure. But my question is, will they always miss? You know, and will the walks be able to be uh, mitigated? You know, he's had three walks this season. That's been a big issue for Berrios over the last few years. They talked about in spring training about how his fastball control was starting to improve. You're seeing that in the beginning of this season. But I still believe Berrios has that second half drop off every single year. I'm waiting to see maybe a two-month stretch where Berrios keeps this up before I announce him a top 15 starting pitcher. Lance Lynn has 11 hits through his 13 innings. It's really concerning for me, but I think he's played some teams at a little bit less and lower on competition. Great for him to have the first complete game shutout. Um, and like I said, Burns is just fantastic. Do you have anything to add? My, my only concerns with Burns is he plays for the Brewers, so I don't um, expect a lot of wins from him, which is kind of sad, but it's also like Jacob deGrom. Whatever it is, rhyme or reason, the Mets can never give Jacob deGrom any run support. As we were talking about in that Trevor Rogers game, I was watching it, and he was going up against Jacob deGrom, and deGrom was just filthy, just throwing 100 miles an hour consistently, and he gave a one home run to Jazz Chisholm, and that was his only blip, and that was enough to um, get him the loss, and Trevor Rogers just was the better pitcher that day, but it's just kind of sad to see for Jacob deGrom. Yeah, and I think what we often forget with deGrom and Burns and, and any pitcher through the last decade that, for whatever reason, that team can't get run support, these are guys at the top of the rotation. Now, DeGrom didn't go up against Sandy Alcantara. He didn't go up against Pablo Lopez, but he did go up against a rising Trevor Rogers. If I'm correct, Rogers is their five. 
normally Burns and DeGrom are going to be also like facing off with number ones. So it kind of makes sense why these guys don't have the greatest run support, right? Their offenses, as it is, are very home run heavy, high strikeout rates. So if you go up against an ace, you're going to struggle as a lineup. But I, I hope to see Burns have more of a consistent year than DeGrom because the Brewers' offense after the last two days looks to be partially coming around. But that kind of brings us into our next two pitchers, which is DeGrom, 14 innings, 21 Ks. As you said, he's been absolutely dominant. Uh, touching 100, you know, the slider's on point. And then finally to follow up, Musgrove, 15 innings, 18 Ks, had the no-hitter, which was magical. He was quoted after the game as saying that he had gotten a terrible night's sleep the night before, that he felt lethargic, and that he just didn't think that he was going to be able to go past the fourth or fifth inning today. And lo and behold, he pitches a no-hitter, and he also said he was exhausted. So pretty magical performance from Musgrove. What do you think about both of those guys? Yeah, I was I always liked Musgrove, but I didn't like how he was on the Pittsburgh Pirates. And it's just crazy to see what a new change of scenery can do for somebody. He has yet to issue a walk or a run yet, and he only has three hits in the 15 innings he's gone. It's just crazy. I think based on what I'm seeing, he could be a top 10 starting pitcher this year. And I, I'm, I believe in the breakout. Yeah, my only hope with Musgrove is that he doesn't get this uh, San Diego injury bug, right? I mean, it's almost like my fantasy team has crossed over to real life with this bad luck injury case, right? They have Tatis go down. They have, obviously, Clevenger from last year, Denilson Lamette. Um, I, I just hope this team can stay healthy and continue to perform because they're doing pretty well to start the year. And the other thing with joe musgrove is he's kind of abandoned his fastball and increased his cutter usage which might have been the key that he needed maybe that's what the padres saw when they went and got him and that's all he needed well and that's an interesting point you make corbin burns actually is doing the exact same thing and there was a telecast i was watching the other day in regards to that exact approach and they were talking about how the most hittable pitch the highest exit velocity is obviously going to come off a four-seam fastball so you see what Burns and Musgrove have done in the first you know, week and a half of the season, even dating back a little bit last year for Burns. They're controlling their cutter, and they're throwing their cutter more, and it's, it's showcasing extreme results. I don't think that will change as long as their control stays on point. Yeah, the only difference is, is Corbin Burns throws his cutter like eight miles more than yeah. <laughs> Joe yeah. Musgrove, which it's, is crazy, crazy that Corbin Burns... Um, let me look it up here. Cutter averages 95.8 miles, which is faster than some four-seamers for probably half the league, which is crazy. Uh, let's move on to batters, though. Um, let's start off with the first guy I mentioned earlier, J.D. Martinez, 17 for 36 with five home runs and 16 RBIs and 10 runs. He's just absolutely on fire. And then a guy we gave up on years ago, Byron Buxton. He's batting 500 with five home runs as well, nine RBIs, seven runs, and he's got four doubles. Yeah, both of those players, I mean, playing out of their mind. Buxton, we're going to have to see if he can stay healthy. If he can, I think some of the analysts that picked him for MVP are going to look like geniuses. I mean, the ball is flying off his bat. He is a platinum gold glove winner. I mean, he has the best glove in almost any field. Um, I'm truly impressed with Buxton. They're going to need him in Minnesota to play like this if they want to make the playoffs. 
Colin may blew another save today. Their pitching staff isn't nearly as strong as it should be. Obviously, with Berrios, that helps, but I've been very impressed with Buxton, and I'm happy for JD. He proved all the naysayers wrong. He proved that he just had a bad 2020, which who can blame you? He had 60 games to play, and uh, definitely showcasing that he's still a viable DH option in any lineup. Yeah, with Buxton, the, the only thing I'm looking for is can he sustain his walk-to-strikeout rate? Right now he's got two walks to five strikeouts, which is uh, fairly good. However, he doesn't normally walk a lot. In all of 2020, he only had two walks. So I'm interested to see if his plate discipline um, can get better, and if it is, I will believe the breakout. Yeah, and will pitchers attack that, right? Will they will they stop throwing him first pitch fastballs and you know start really making him work the count and putting themselves in an advantage? I think that's a great point if he can keep his patience at the plate. Richie, why don't you go ahead and give me a, a few more breakout hitters in the past week and a half? Yeah, somebody we've mentioned before, Nicholas Castellanos, 12 for 34 with four homers, seven RBIs, and nine runs. There's also Whit Merrifield. 11 for 28 with three home runs and 10 RBIs. Um, and then somebody who we ended up getting, Nelson Cruz, 12 for 26 with four homers, 10 RBIs, and nine runs. What do you think about all these guys? I think they are who we thought they were. Um, I give Maryfield a lot of credit. I wasn't sure if this was the year that he was going to fall off or maybe it's next year. He's getting a little bit up there in age. Came out of the gate very strong for Kansas City. Gastianos is doing, again, what, what we thought he would do. A little bit better average than last year, which I'm excited to see. I want to see that continue. And obviously then with Cruz, the ageless wonder, 40 years old, three home runs this past week on our bench. And I, I'm just excited to see what Nelson Cruz can do again. If he can play 130, 140 games at DH, I think he hits 40 home runs and has just a magical season. Couple guys to finish up. Devers at eight for thirty-two with four home runs really has come on strong in the last three or four days. We'll kind of see if that continues. Devers traditionally has really bad Aprils, kind of a little bit sluggish May. So the fact that he's coming out of the gate so strong is encouraging. And then finally, the aforementioned Tyler Naquin, nine for twenty-seven, three thirty-three average with let's see here five home runs, a double, fourteen RBIs, seven runs. Richie, what do you think of these guys? I'm going to start off with Tyler Naquin. I believe parts of it, but not everything. I believe he can keep up this average, and I think he'll hit for decent power. I don't think he's going to sustain this home run rate. I think he'll probably finish right around 25 home runs. Um, but he's always been a higher BABIP guy, and he's actually got a 235 BABIP right now. Um, he's went from Cleveland to Cincinnati, which is a more hitter-friendly park. He's in a better lineup. So I think um, pitchers are focusing on other parts of the lineup, like Enogenio Suarez and Nicholas Castellanos, Joey Votto. So he's of a lesser thought. So I think that helps him and just having better players around him gives him a better opportunity for more runs and RBIs. So I definitely think he's worth an add if he's still out there, but I wouldn't expect uh, top 30 or 40 outfield production from him moving forward. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. What do you think of Devers' early stats? Um, Devers is one of those guys I feel... Maybe it's just my sense because I've watched him in the minors. I feel like he doesn't do the, the greatest in the cold, and then he always 
gets hot in the summer. So I think there's actually more in the tank, and I think he can bat more over 300 and have some more power. Um, and he actually started off pretty cold, but he's kind of heating up lately. Yeah, he said he said a nice start. Um, and then I think the last name I want to mention is Vlad. Vlad's coming out of the gate gate really strong, and home runs necessarily aren't there. He's got two of them. I, I haven't looked into his launch angle, but 11 for 29, two home runs, eight RBIs, five runs. The Blue Jays are coming really strong. Gonna kind of test the Yankees and see what happens. But um, anybody else you want to mention for breakout, either hitters or pitchers? No, I think that covers it. All right, let us move on to our new segment, which I'm assuming we will be doing probably all season, with my luck and your luck, um, the Closer Conundrum. So, Richie, kind of give us a breakdown of this segment and maybe start off with a couple guys that are in a conundrum or are maybe solidified in their closer's role. I know the Giants haven't officially named a closer. However, it appears that Jake McGee is going to be their guy. In the six games he's played, he's got four saves, five and a third innings, um, seven strikeouts, and only a .19 whip. And then another guy that is possibly on our rookie risers, Emmanuel Classe. Just watched him pitch uh, a game out and get the save. His fastball was hitting 100 consistently. Uh, control wasn't the greatest, but he was close enough where batters have to think about swinging. In his time with Cleveland, he's got four games. He's 1-0. and He has yet to give up a run. Four innings pitched, six strikeouts, .5 whip, and he's got two saves. Everybody thought James Karinchek was going to be the guy, but uh, I think we were the ones that were doubting it. And his lack of control command um, was a red flag. And so I think this is Klaze's job to lose at this point. Yeah, and I think what they're going to see now in Cleveland with Karen Cech and Klaze and Whitgren is kind of the same Brewers approach, right? Like, get us to the seventh inning, and we're going to get you. We're going to get you home. I think maybe you take that pressure off Karen Cech of of relieving him from ninth inning duties. You give him the seventh. I think you might see him perform quite well. I know Whitgren didn't have a great start to his season, but I still think he's one of the best setup men in the league. We've got to remember, Class A was the big return on that Kluber trade. You know, you traded one of the best pitchers in your franchise history, and you end up getting a closer. You don't often think to yourself that that's going to be something that's relevant, but if Class A can hold down this uh, this closer's job and become their guy for the next three or four years, you're looking at a very valuable return. Give me a couple other guys from the uh, Blue Jays that we're looking at and that are causing us headaches. Yeah, Jordan Romano and Julian Merriweather. Uh, I drafted Jordan Romano thinking that was going to be a steal at the end of drafts, not even thinking of Julian Merriweather even having an opportunity. Uh, Romano ended up getting a win earlier this week, and he came into the game on the April 8th, uh, and I think with a one-run lead, uh, pitched two-thirds in and gave two hits and actually blew the save. And it was later Merriweather came in and pitched lights out. So he's got, they each pitched three games, um, yet to give up a run, but it looks like Merriweather's done better. He's got seven strikeouts to Romano's three, and he's got two saves where Romano has zero, but he does have that win under his belt. Um, it's interesting to see what will happen the next time around, but I think Merriweather has the upper hand at this point. 
Yeah, and we're talking about a guy that, as you had mentioned, we didn't have any foresight on coming into the season. I mean, Julian Merriweather is 28 years old. He was a fifth-round pick by Cleveland a few years back. Kind of a guy that's just taken advantage of an opportunity. And Romero, Romero has such great arm talent, but you've got to be so careful with these young guys. He obviously had some injury concerns last year as well. I think, as you mentioned, we're going to have to kind of wait and see how this plays out. I fully expect one of them to get hurt over the next two months to really solidify that job. I think that's just kind of how things shake out in baseball. One guy either really underperforms or someone gets hurt. But I think Merriweather is the guy. Yeah, and the the other thing is the GM came out and said that they're not going to have him pitch on back-to-back days because of the health injury concerns and with the workload with everybody being on a shortened season. So Romano very well could get saves if Merriweather pitched the day previously. So just something to keep an eye on. But it reminds me, speaking of workload concerns, is what's happening over in Los Angeles with the Dodgers. Kenley Jansen versus Corey Knable. Kenley Jansen's pitched three and two-thirds. He's given up two hits, two earned runs, four walks to one strikeout, but he does have a save. Knable got the save yesterday. Um, He's pitched three and one-third, zero hits, zero runs only one walk and six strikeouts. So he actually has more saves with two than Kenley Jansen. However, Dave Roberts has come out already and said he hasn't won the job. They just were monitoring workload concerns with Kenley Jansen. However, if this keeps going up, I fully expect Corey Knable to possibly take this role. What do you think? Yeah, I'm a little frustrated here with Milwaukee, obviously being a Milwaukee Brewer fan. They gave up for Knable for essentially a bag of bats, and he was just coming off Tommy John surgery last year, obviously showcasing his arm talent, his ability. He's a, a proven closer in the major leagues. So that three and one third with no hits, no runs, six Ks, two saves, like those are great numbers. And honestly, Kenley Jansen has been washed up for years now. We've seen that. They don't trust him in the playoffs. And from a fantasy perspective, he's very similar to Araldis Chapman in the way that his team always scores too many runs for him to get those 40 saves on a season. Now, I think Araldis Chapman is, you know, outstanding, probably the best closer in the game. I think Kenley Jansen's just a a pile of money on the mound now. But definitely an interesting thing to, wa- to watch moving forward. Um, I'm going to have to see kind of how that L.A. situation plays out. All right, let's talk about one more closer situation, and that's the St. Louis Cardinals. As it shakes out right now, Alex Reyes appears to be the closer in four games he's pitched. He has yet to give up a run over four and one-thirds inning with three strikeouts. He does have a 1.15 whip, but he has three saves. Um, There's been talks and rumors that Jordan Hicks eventually will take the closer role once he gets back up to speed, which doesn't look like it's going to take much longer because he's already hitting 100. He's also gone four and one-third innings with four strikeouts, but a .92 whip, and he has yet to give up a run. What time frame or what timetable do you think Jordan Hicks takes over? Or do you think he will or and that they just stick with Alex Reyes? What's your, your feeling on this? Yeah, I think with what Reyes has done early, he's proven that he's through the injury concerns. He's proven that he can now control himself with his presence on the mound. I think they're going to give him a couple more weeks maybe in this closer role just to, again, get him like prepped in these pressure pressure situations. But he's a starting pitcher. They want to stretch him out. They want him to get him back in the rotation because St. Louis desperately needs a strong rotation, right? I mean, 
outside of Flaherty, they're lacking in having really a number two. And I think that guy could definitely be Reyes coming into the 2022 season. So I think they're going to move Hicks in probably middle of May. That would be my expectation, maybe early May. Again, they're kind of ramping him up. He's back to hitting 102 on the gun. They're both pitching phenomenal, right? Um, I think Hicks, though, is the closer of that team. I see Reyes as a starter. Yeah, I think probably by May, if I had to guess, maybe the first, second week of May is when I'm anticipating the swap. But I think they're going to use Reyes kind of what the Brewers did with Josh Hader a few years back, is use him in that multi-inning high leverage role where he goes two, possibly three innings because, as you said, he does have his injury concerns and they want him to be a starter for going into next year. So it'll just be interesting to see what they end up doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I fully agree with you. I think that position for him, that two, three inning kind of flex role is is something every team needs these days. Uh, last closer I want to mention is Aroldis Chapman, three innings, nine Ks. He has struck out every single batter that he has recorded an out for. One hit, one walk, got the win today. Um, he's actually throwing a split fastball this year, which is new to his arsenal. And man, I've watched a couple of his games. It's filthy. You know, you're throwing 97, 98 miles an hour. He's touching 100 every now and then still. You know, he's getting older. But you had a split fastball to this regiment. It's incredible. I do think it's a shame that he's not going to be out there for 40 to 50 saves because the Yankees are just going to score too many runs. But you're talking about an absolute lockdown closer. Uh, it's beautiful to see. All right, Richie, let's go ahead and move on to top rookie breakouts. Why don't you go ahead, start it off, list some guys that you really like, you know, rub Trevor Rogers in my face a little bit, and uh, <laughs> maybe mention a couple names that the listener isn't familiar with. Yeah, so I'll just briefly touch on Trevor Rogers. Um, I was watching that game, and they had a they had a recorded interview that they played in-game with Trevor Rogers and how... In his first start, he was trying to overthrow, and he was hitting 98-99, but he couldn't find the strike zone, and he actually walked uh, four batters in the first inning, and then he settled in after that, and he only walked two in this last start, and he was consistently hitting 96, touching 97, 98 occasionally, but he had complete control. Every single corner he wanted to hit, it was right there on the money, and I'm very excited to see him going forward if he can keep that control but slightly increase his velocity on his fastball and if he can consistently hit 98 99 with control while painting those corners i think uh, a breakout is near and then another person who actually got called up today is brent honeywell um might as well call him machine man with all the surgeries he's had but he started the game as an opener went two innings no hits no earned runs no walks and two strikeouts one of them was a screwball to Giancarlo Stan, and then he struck out Glaber Torres with a fastball that touched 94, 95, I believe. So I believe he had higher velocity before the surgeries, but that's still a great sign. I'm very intrigued to see what he does moving forward. Obviously, the workload and injury concerns are a question, but something somebody I'm going to be monitoring as the season goes on. Yeah, I, I've loved Brent Honeywell. I mean, we're probably dating back to five or six years ago when he was, you know, pre-injuries. And then he had Tommy John, came back from Tommy John, breaks something in his elbow, you know, knocking him out a full season again. This guy's just been through the ringer. I think if, if we're going to see him in a high-octane fantasy productive role, it's probably going to come out of the bullpen. 
maybe as a starter, maybe he's got it in him, but definitely not till 2022, I don't think. But he's someone to monitor, someone to watch the metrics of this season. And kind of, you know, if you need a guy that's going to, going to just add a start to your categories league or add ratios i think honeywell could be that guy but again you got to kind of watch where he goes rishi why don't you go ahead and list a couple more for us yeah we'll talk about uh jonathan india he's gone 11 for 29 with a 379 average he has no walks but seven strikeouts which is a little concerning but he has 11 rbis four runs a double and a triple the thing that concerns me with him is he has no home runs but Man, he is off to a hot start. I did not see this coming. I thought he was another year or two away, and he proved me wrong. Maybe something clicked for him at the alternative training site last year. But either way, it's exciting to see, and I'm glad it's panning out for him. What are your thoughts on uh, Mr. Jonathan India? Yeah, India coming out of Florida, if I remember correctly, fifth overall pick by the Reds. He was bat first in college. Uh, Kind of an all-around player, similar to Martin in this past draft. Uh, Austin Martin, that is, for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Less power, not as much of a pop guy. I think what you could see from Jonathan India is a similar profile to Nick Madrigal. You know, maybe a poor man's Nick Madrigal. Those walks definitely concern me. Makes good contact, doesn't have a lot of power, should be on-base guy. He's going to play solid defense. I think, you know, maybe in a categories league, if you're looking at OBP or possibly just batting average, maybe more specifically, he might be a guy you want to plug in. Definitely too early for me to be adding him, uh, especially in points leagues. Just don't see that full value there. The guy I want to mention, uh, someone that we kind of talked about in the last podcast, it's Akil Badu for the Detroit Tigers. His numbers are starting to slip a little bit, but his story was fantastic. Hits a first home run at bat, uh, fantastic home run to left field. The next day, hits a grand slam to left field, and then walks off a game the following day. But again, I think his numbers have started to slip. What do you see in Badu, Richie? Yeah, it's just a great Cinderella story, um, almost getting cut and then getting drafted in the Rule 5 draft uh, this past December. I I really hope he can keep up his average. I didn't really believe in the power to begin with, um, but let's be honest, the Detroit Tigers don't have much going for him anyway, so might as well ride it out while they can. I'm hoping he's just going through a minor slump. He's only gone two for his last nine so he's kind of tailing off a little bit, but it is only a four-game sample size. Uh, we still got a long season ahead of us, so it'll be interesting to see what he can do. Um, but let's move on to, were you going to say something, Matt? I was just going to say, we talk about these things, and you're absolutely right, but you know, just to kind of add context for the listener, if, if say, Badu were to go out tomorrow and go one for one, he's three for his last 10. You know, He's batting 300, right? So we kind of give these off-the-cuff reactions, which I don't think we're wrong on. He's definitely slowed down. But when you're talking about, you know, 10 days of baseball for some of these teams, eight games, you know, two for nine, there's a lot that can change. So we definitely like Badu. I think if you've got an open roster spot, you maybe add him, you know, kind of see what he does. Uh, He's always been a very good contact player in the minors. The pop has come and gone. Um, you know, we'll see what happens, but I could also easily see him riding the bench the rest of summer if this two for nine stretches out even further. And the more philosophy kind of thing is in the first month of the baseball season is when things happen, when people 
try out new things, new pitches, new batting stances, whatever the case is. So you have to react this early if you want to get those breakout players or get rid of the people who just are slubbing or haven't changed in the league as adjusted to them. And that's why it is important to take a look at what they've done the past four or five games because you kind of have to make a move and you can't be the person to wait. So just something to think about. But let's move on to uh, two Chicago White Sox players, one who came out of nowhere and one who's kind of slumping. So I'll let you take the floor and pick which one you want to talk about first. Yeah, I'm going to talk about Andrew Vaughn. Um, two for 14 to start the season, batting 143, five walks, six strikeouts. And that's what I want to highlight. Five walks, six strikeouts. When I read that, I say that his plate vision and his plate discipline is there. What I'm seeing from Andrew Vaughn is he's a little overmatched by these starting pitchers from a major league perspective. And that's fine. He's a rookie. He's coming from Cal as a hitter. You know, a highly touted prospect this spring. Had a great spring training. Again, it's been 10 days. We're going to give Andrew Vaughn some time. He's going to settle into his left field position. There's a lot to be excited about. Obviously, no home runs yet. He has one double, which I saw, and it was a great shot to right center field. I'm not worried about Andrew Vaughn at all. Now, if you're in a categories league or if you're in a roto league, maybe put him on the bench for the next couple of weeks. Let him get acclimated and let the weather warm up a little bit. And I bet you by the end of season, Andrew Vaughn's hitting 280. I do like his future prospects. I don't think I'm going to win our bet on home runs that we had for him. What did I say? Like 25 or more home runs if he plays 125 games. We'll have to go back and double check that. But it's not. I'm not too optimistic on it at this yeah, point. Yeah, I'm feeling right pretty good about that. That's for sure. Yeah, but let's let's move on to the other person who we thought um, Andrew Vaughn would be, and that's Yerman Mercedes. He's batting 556 with two walks, three strikeouts, seven RBIs, five runs, three doubles, no triples, and two home runs. Um, I don't think the average is going to last. Obviously, nobody can sustain a 556 batting average, but I do think he can bat 260, 270. It's home runs that I'm interested in. He's a bigger boy, so naturally he's going to have some more power. Um, And it's just whether pitchers figure him out, nobody had a book on him to begin with. So I'm curious to see if uh, the analytics are finding some holes in his swing and if they if this catches up to him in the next month or so. Yeah, he's always been a good hitter. In the minor leagues, back in 2012, he had 327. 2016, he had 345. 2018, he had 289. 2019, he had 317. He's a hitter, all right? And he's a guy that is just a positionless hitter. As he's you know listed with the White Sox, he's a catcher. They're playing him at DH. It's very, very opportunistic of him to be able to come in and perform well after the Eloy injury because there's this glaring hole in the lineup. Tim Anderson obviously goes down too, so there's more playing time at the DH position as well. I'm very happy for this kid. Performed well all of his minor league career. Finally gets the chance to show that he has a valuable asset. I think if we're going to sit pretty with him this season, I would go for you know a 290 to 310 average, you know, upside of 20 home runs maybe 25-plus doubles if you can give him 120, 130 games. I, I really like him as a player. I, I don't know that that's you know a position that you want to slide into your utility. There's a lot of guys that can give you counting stats or more home runs, maybe more RBIs, but he's definitely a fun story. And in a categories league, he gives you those counting stats. Now, he's not going to steal you many bases, 
but I do think or that he, any. or yeah, or any. Um, I w- honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to watch him sc- like steal five bases this season, and it's just kind of like <laughs> how. Um, but yeah, I, I think Mercedes is again a fantastic story. All right, Richard, do you have anybody else that you maybe want to touch on before we wrap it up? No, I think that wraps it up for me. Yeah, good start to the season. Again, we're 10 days in. Last thing I want to mention today, uh, Luke Weaver is back to form, it looks like. Seven innings, shutout baseball against Cincinnati today. Big concern for me is he is on one of the worst teams in that division. He has to face the Padres, the Dodgers, and he has to pitch in Coors Field. And, you know, when you when you think about waiver wire additions, as Richie had said, you've got to act fast. I encourage everybody to be very careful with Weaver because, again, he plays in probably the toughest division in baseball, if not the second toughest. What are your thoughts hearing about Weaver's day, Richie? Yeah, I've been down this road. It's a roller coaster. He'll look <laughs> like an ace one day, and then he'll blow for five, six runs the next day. I'm personally staying away. I need to see at least three, four starts strung together where he's got quality starts back to back to back before I start believing. So as we said, you need to react. If I'm picking him up, I'm not starting him for at least three, four starts until he's proven that he's back. But that's just my general thought. But there is one other thing I did want to mention um, for folks out there in uh, deeper leagues, keeper, dynasty, and that's James Paxson is looking at Tommy John. And so the Mariners are now going to be out a starting pitcher. I know the minor league season doesn't start till May, but I wouldn't be surprised if they bring up Logan Gilbert near the end of May, beginning of June, give him a little cup of coffee, see how he does. And if he pitches lights out, I could see him being um, one of the best rookie uh, pitching prospects that could come up. Yeah, I think thoughts on that. I think that's a good take. You know, they have Hancock down there as well, who's a bit younger than Gilbert. Uh, Flexen got absolutely destroyed today. Kikuchi's pitching pretty nice. You know, as I said on an earlier podcast, I think they're going to bring all these kids up at once. Um, I think Kelnick's coming up. When Gilbert comes up, I think Julio Rodriguez probably waits till 2022 because he is the like, the youngest of the group, if I am correct. But well, yeah, he also broke his wrist last year, so mm-hmm. they're probably going to monitor that and make sure his workload is lesser than the, the other guys, too. Yeah, I, I agree. And honestly, if Gilbert pitches well, I'd put him in the same bag as Luke Weaver. You know, plays on a shitty team. And the Mariners have had some good games. They've had some comeback games. They won, if I'm correct, today with that blown save by Colome in Minnesota. But you really need Kelnick and Rodriguez on this team with France. Trammell's playing fantastic. I love the I love the prospect of this team down the road. Right now, I'm just I'm not thrilled with what they have out there. But Gilbert's a great talent. Yeah, they just need to get rid of Hagerty and bring up Kelnick already. I don't know. Yeah, no, but- I fully agree. I think if Kelnick uh, files a grievance, I think he could win it. Yeah, especially with the comments coming from that chairman's uh, chairman's mouth and that recorded audio. But All right, guys, I think we're going to wrap it there. We have an exciting episode coming up for you, which we'll release on Friday. We're actually going to bring in one of our league mates. We're going to talk about the draft, some of the players that he ended up getting, some of the players he missed out on, kind of his thoughts from the first 10 days. And he's going to rub it in my face that he was the, the team that I did indeed trade Jose Barrios to for a completely washed up and injured Trevor Rosenthal and the best closer, Aldous Chapman. But Barrios obviously has performed excellently, so he won that trade. And he is playing you this week, Richie. So we'll have a lot to talk about. Look for that episode on Friday, and we will see you guys next time. Take right, care. Take care, guys. Bye.